Happy Spooky Wednesday, everyone. It's Kayla. Just wanted to give you a little warning before starting this episode. There are descriptions of murder, suicide, and child death. If these subjects make you uncomfortable, you may want to wait till next week. And if that's the case, we love you. Thank you for supporting us. Have a great week. Otherwise, enjoy the rest of this episode. Welcome to the 25th episode of Left of Skeptic. My name is Brittany Land. And I am Kayla Moria. And we are a paranormal podcast. Yes, we are. And what are we not about, Kayla? We are not about Dracula furries, that's for sure. <laughs> um, for our longtime listeners who are like, what? <laughs> we have to tell you about the con. Yes, so the Minnesota Para-Unity Convention was this last weekend. It was so amazing. So amazing. We had a booth shared with Twin Ports Horror Society. We met so many cool people. So many cool people. I got to hear a lot of people's stories and then handed out our bookmarks being like, you should like send me that story in an email. Yes. Because I want to read it out loud for everybody to hear. Yes. I met a gentleman from... Two Harbors, but like old school Two Harbors, before my family even moved to Two Harbors, Two Harbors. Whoa. And he had a bunch of scary stories from the Blackwoods restaurant. Oh, you didn't tell me that. Yeah, he was there that day that you weren't able to be there. And we talked Uh, for like 20 mm -hmm. minutes. It was pretty cool. That's awesome. We got a chance to uh, sit and chat with the people from the Palmer House. That was cool. Hoping they will send us some stories. And talk to people from the Boyd House that we have not covered yet, but that left us with some interesting thoughts for the future. Yeah, I mean, personally, I hope we get to go to it, and then we'll cover it. We were also seated right next to Stephen McDougal, who goes by Doogie. Yes, he was the sweetest man. The sweetest man, with a thick Tennessee accent. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then he talked about my accent, and I was like, excuse me, what accent? That's not true. We played up that Minnesota accent for him, and he thought it was very humorous. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then can I can I talk about the total fangirl moment I had? Please do. Please okay. do. So Friday, I took the day off, and I was there the whole day, and it was awesome. And I introduced myself to Chad Lindbergh. <laughs> and then I was like, you know, I, I know you from... Supernatural, obviously, and Fast and Furious, obviously. But the thing I know you first from is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, season one, episode eight, where you played Dave in iRobot Eugene. And he's like, yeah, that was my first gig out in Los Angeles. I didn't think it was going to become as big of a deal as it did, but that goes to show what I know. And I was like, yeah, can I, like, is it weird if I bring you my first season of Buffy to sign? And he was like, nah, it's not weird at all. He was also the sweetest man. Sweetest man. Everybody yes. we met there was so So nice. nice. Oh Plus, my gosh. if you're listening and we met you while we were there, 
You so all nice. were also the sweetest people. I've never been so happy to be surrounded by so many like-minded souls. Weirdos. <laughs> I went with souls, but you go with weirdos. I mean, same thing. <laughs> I figured everyone at the con was a little bit of a weirdo. And that's <laughs> why we were all friends. Exactly. Thank you again to Twin Ports Horror Society for sharing that booth with us also. Oh, so much fun. To call back to the Dracula Furries thing, in case you're listening oh, yeah. <laughs> and didn't make it to the paranormal convention, every time I wasn't at the booth or Brittany wasn't at the booth and Corey was there, he just kept telling people that our podcast was about Draculas or furries or Dracula furries. So I'm sorry if that's why you tuned in, but I told him maybe we have to do a vampire episode now. And he goes, no, Draculas. I was like, There's, that's not a thing. That's Corey. not a thing. <laughs> you know, honestly, even when we were there, he told people that. So I know. Yeah, I'm sorry if you guys tuned in for the furry talk. Unfortunately, I don't I don't really have much experience in that. So yes, that was our awesome weekend. The weekend was all about the con. It was amazing and fun and great. And now we've got a fairly non-standard next couple of weeks coming up for us. Oh, yes. Glad you remember to bring this up because I wasn't going to. So next week's episode is going to look a little bit different because Kayla is leaving me. Well, you make it sound like we're getting a divorce. <laughs> She's going on a fun birthday adventure. I'm so excited for her. I'm very sad that I'm not going with. But what that means is that we are going to record our stories separate. Mm-hmm. So we're going to come together to record an intro for you all because I know how much you love our banter. Um, <laughs> but then we are going to record our story separate. So get ready for me to be kind of awkward about rec- sitting in a room by myself. I don't know why that would be awkward. That's literally what my other job is, is yeah, to I sit don't in a room and record all by myself. But like not whole stories. I normally just do like one minute long breaks. If but, anything, yeah. it would be way more awkward for me. But then again, I do sit and talk to myself a lot. Also, next week's episode will be premiering on my birthday. Oh, it's actually on your birthday? Yeah, Wednesday, July Ah. 21st. Cancer all up over here. So as a great part of that, I decided that we are not going to be limited to the Midwest on my birthday. We Mm. can talk about Mm. anywhere in the entire world that we want to talk about. And I have already written that story. And let me tell you, Brittany, when you listen back to it, you're going to be like, "Uh oh, damn. Well, what's great is that I'm going to get your story first because I'm going to be the one that edits it. And then I can just outdo you with mine. Oh, is that how that's going to (laughs) go? No, we'll see. I haven't even picked a topic yet, so. (laughs) I won't even hear it until we're in the redwoods of California. I'll just be like, sorry, they were in the middle of the woods, but I have to listen to my podcast now. So just I'm going to peace out for an hour. I'll talk to you guys soon. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I wonder if maybe I should go out of my way to pick a particularly spooky woodsy one. What were you listening to? Was it the crawlers episode when you were sitting out on your back porch looking at the woods hearing all of the scary stories that happen in the woods yes so before we post each episode we both listen to it as Mm -hmm. it's completed editing to just double check everything (laughs) and that's also how i come up with these really witty episode titles i was sitting out on the back porch just hanging out drinking a beer it's 11 30 at night and the crawlers episode comes up, particularly the 
experience story. And I was just had to message Brittany and be like, nope, no, 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 <laughs> no. Cause You're welcome. Right outside of my back door, it's not the woods. I live in town, but it's very thick vegetation. It looks like the woods, and I was not down. Another thing in relation to my birthday episode is if you check our website, for the next couple of weeks it won't be updated because I am typically the one that updates our website, and mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that while I'm in a van or in the middle of the woods. So hold off on that for a little bit and give me some time. <laughs> I think that it's almost time to start the episode, get her going. But first, I think we need a word from our sponsors. We don't have a, a beer crack because we've both already opened our beers. All right, here, hold, hold on. I'll crack a beer. I'll crack a beer because I'll drink both of them. Not much. Just drinking this Earth Rider Grapefruit Rattler. You? Same. Grapefruit Rattler. You know, I like it when we hop on here and we get to talk about the two different beers that we have that match our different, like, favorite flavor profiles. But it's also nice to be able to find a beer that we both enjoy. Yeah, I agree. We could actually, very rarely this happens, we could go in on a six-pack of this together. (laughs) I know, except you'll have to get it directly from the Cedar Lounge. They just released this on Friday, and it's a Cedar exclusive, so it's not found in stores. It's very lucky that we have a Steve to come get that for us. All right, (laughs) here's the plan, though. We're going to go catch some music at Earthrider Festival Grounds and then grab another six-pack of this while we're there for later. Sounds like a good plan to me. This beer, like all Earthrider beer, is made with Lake Superior water and perfect ingredients. For more information about Earthrider Brewery's beers, check out their website, earthrider.beer. And we're back. I was updating the website this last week, and Mm -hmm. I was looking at the episode map. If you're not familiar with our website, there is a map where you can see any location we've talked about. I have it saved on there. Perfect for road tripping. Or if you just want to see where a haunted place is in relation to you so you can avoid it. Or seek it out. There you go. Anyway, I was looking at the map and I found out that we have not covered a single story out of Nebraska. Yeah, I don't know that much about Nebraska. Neither do I, but we have done 24 whole episodes without Nebraska. And Nebraska is part of the Midwest. I looked it up. I verified. And we can't keep leaving these lovely people out of this. They need their spooky stories, too. It's true. Yeah, the only thing I know about Nebraska is that's where Aunt Becky from Full House is from. I did not know that. She is very famously from Nebraska. I I don't know that much about Full House. (laughs) There are a lot of haunted places in Nebraska, but it's a lot of small tales. It took some digging to find one to fill like a whole half an episode, and then I came across it. I'm ready. Seven Sisters Road. No idea what that is. I struggled for a long time to figure out how to start the story until I came across a blog post from David Ian McKendry written for The 13th Floor. He wrote about this post back in July of 2017, and it seemed the perfect way to set the scene. All right. Back in high school, I was returning from a party in the middle of the night. There had been a hot summer thunderstorm earlier that day, leaving a thick evening fog all over town. 
My car was your typical piece of shit high school student car with a busted headlight and only AM FM radio that could really only tune into three stations. My route home took me down a one lane gravel road surrounded by thick woods on either side. The road was a local celebrity with more haunted tales attached to it than a Poe anthology. Witches, demons, slaughtered children, hitchhikers, and a Girl Scout troop never to be heard from again. It seemed that they all congregated on this twisted, unpaved thoroughfare. As my one headlight attempted to cut through the thick haze and illuminate one half of the road, my mind could not help but wonder what twisted evil was waiting for me on the other side of the fog. I turned up the radio to drown out those thoughts, but it was at that moment that some late-night radio DJ decided to play The End by The Doors. That sick <laughs> son of a bitch. Oh, no. No matter where you live in America, your town probably has the same road. This road is older than the town and was probably laid down by the devil himself. It changes names from town to town and usually has a few nicknames attached to it as well. You'd have no problem driving through it in the day, but would drive 20 miles out of your way to avoid it driving at night. While driving across country one summer, I found myself in Nebraska City. Enjoying a midnight breakfast at a local diner, I got to talking with the waitress who asked me what I did in Los Angeles. Most of the time, I usually answer with broom salesman, but that night I decided to mention that I work in horror. Almost immediately, she broke into a local tale about the Seven Sisters Road. Already fascinated by evil roads, I was instantly hooked and wanted to know more. The Seven Sisters Road sits just a few miles south of Nebraska City and is referred to as L Street on all the maps. According to legend, back in the early 1900s, a young man was living with his parents and seven sisters. After a heated argument with his family, he left home but did not go far. He waited in the woods for his parents to leave, and once they were gone, the still enraged young man returned. Finding his sisters home alone, he led them out one by one to separate trees and hung each one of them until they were dead. Jesus. The waitress then said that when they built the road years later, they had to chop down all seven trees in a perfect row to allow for the road. To this day, people report hearing screams late at night. Some even say that their lights always dim as they drive down that road, only to brighten once they turn off of it. Ew. That night, I decided to take a little detour from the highway and drive a little far south of Nebraska City. Keeping an eye on my phone, I watched as L Street crept up closer. At that moment, and for reasons I can't explain, I decided to turn on the radio. Almost immediately, I was greeted by the voice of Jim Morrison melodically singing about his only friend, The End. Instantly, flashing back to high school, I decided to drive past the Seven Sisters Road and let my phone reroute me back to the highway. <laughs> Perhaps some roads are better traversed in daytime. And some songs should never be played at night. You know what? I hope that sometimes people listen to our podcast at night and get freaked out. Me too. I think too. that's the dream. It's a nice thought. Right? It is. Nebraska City, about an hour south of Omaha, is a small town with a population of just over 7,000 people. This story, like most legends that float around small towns, has been passed around the inhabitants for years and years. If you ask anyone in town, they'll tell you to avoid taking the road five miles southeast of town, labeled as L Street, on any local map. The road itself is pretty unassuming when you look at it in the daytime. It's just a road. It's a basic-ass county road. But travel it at night, and apparently it'll feel anything other than basic. The consensus is like a sibling drama rivalry issue on drugs. Wow. In the 1900s, a young man lived up on the hills with his parents and seven sisters. He got into an argument with his family one day and decided to take a terrible action. The stories vary depending on who you hear it from, but this is what everybody believes. 
He waited in the woods until his parents left for the evening and then came back home and snatched up his sisters. The young man led them to separate trees in the surrounding hills and brutally murdered them all by hanging. Ever since, the hills have been haunted by the women's restless spirits. While no one knows what happened to the brother, locals warn unsuspecting visitors that strange things happen on the road that curves through those seven forlorn hills. Furthermore, no official reports have been found to substantiate the hangings, but the legend continues to persist. The road has changed over the years. Once a dirt road over several rolling hills, construction has widened and at some points paved the road from what I understand. And the hills are changed, looking more like four than seven now. Like if you want to catch all seven hills, you really have to pay attention. Mm. Mm -hmm. The trees that the sisters were allegedly hung in no longer stand. According to locals, they were cut down when that road was built. Many tales have been told over the years, including the sound of terrified women screaming for help. Others have heard bells ringing that seem to come from a nearby private cemetery. Ew. Many who have driven through the area report having problems with their cars stalling, headlights mysteriously dimming, speedometers freezing, and windows that roll up and down seemingly on their own. For that last problem, it could be a ghost or they could just own a Dodge or a Subaru. I'm just saying. Car talk. Boom. Car talk. Car smarts. Anyway, I kid. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. If you own a Dodge or a Subaru, don't come at me. I own both. <laughs> Others report having seen shadowy figures in the darkness with red eyes that appear to be watching them. Ugh. They could hear voices and muffled whispers and experience sudden wind changes. Both paranormal groups and individuals continue to explore this creepy road, lined by looping hills and twisted trees, and continue to report strange activity. Local historian Tammy Parch, an author of books on Nebraska's history, say that the murders can't be found in any newspaper. But, she says, don't ignore the stories that have been told about the Seven Sisters Road. You hear things. You hear screams. You hear moans, says Parch. You maybe catch a glimpse of white gowns in the distance or lights fluttering. There's all sorts of stories about what happened. There's a newspaper article I found. Basically just has a bunch of quotes from locals that all say the same thing. It's not just legends. There are people that actually report experiencing things there. The idea that the ghosts are women, the seven sisters, is the most consistent story told. But that could be just an urban legend since there is no proof. Some investigators have found more than just the apparitions of women walking the hills. Oh. According to a story on the area published by the Omaha World Herald, a Lincoln-based medium named Cheryl Ann Fletcher came across seven bodies hanging by nooses from the trees. Their chests were blown open by gunshots, she said. The oh, bodies God. were hanging above a graveyard in a wooded area. It was clear as day, as if you and me were standing right there, Fletcher told the Herald. There were seven bodies, male and females mixed. The one that oh. captured my attention was a little boy who was blonde, and he was about seven years old. She claims that she felt a spectral child's hand wrap around her wrists and pull her toward a weathered gravestone bearing no inscription. There, the boy introduced himself as Matthew, and the two spoke shortly before he departed. Fletcher later returned with a full paranormal crew to document any supernatural activity. And the property owner of the graveyard location described to the team a terrifying experience he had had in the open field area one morning where a ghastly creature with glowing red eyes shining like rubies slowly walked towards him as if a wolf stalking his prey. Ugh. Fortunately for the landowner, the beast eventually bolted over to a nearby hill. 
Others have not been so lucky. Every single night for one week in November of 1968, there was a report made to local police officers about a monster in those hills that would come out at around 11 p.m. One report claimed that a teenage boy was grabbed by the beast, scratched up, and tossed into a ditch. Wait, that was in a police report? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Is there anything more about that story? I want to know more about that story. Nope, no more. Uh. Many tales have come from those who are brave or foolish enough, depending on your viewpoint, to jog the road at night. They claim to hear blood-curdling screams. They're allegedly piercing and seem nearby, yet just out of reach. Why are you jogging? Especially at night. Like Right? I mean, especially at night, but why are you jogging? Why are you jogging? <laughs> For our listeners who jog, why are you jogging? Why? <laughs> why? <laughs> On a blog called Midwestern Ghosts and Hauntings, there was an article about the Seven Sisters Road, and I found some posts on their comment board. An anonymous poster on June 1st of 2013 at 1.30 a.m. said, Tonight, six of us drove down the road eight times. The last three trips headed west. We saw three separate women flee into the bushes on the north side of the road. We got the second one on video. The first two were shorter, slow-moving, almost looked crouched down. The third stood at the bottom of the hill until we came closer, fled and wasn't able to be seen after. Has anyone heard the entire story of the sisters? We met locals who lived on the property and they claimed to own the cemetery as well. We chose not to go onto their property in fear of a real life scary movie. Has anyone seen the sisters? A reply on June 15th of 2013 at 6.35 p.m. came from the owners of that property. It said, Thank you for respecting our property and not looking for the cemetery without asking. If you want to see the cemetery, let me know so that I can go through and turn off the trail cameras. Is Seven Sisters haunted? Yes, it is. I own this property and have had many extremely unusual things happen. For now, I will leave it at that. Thank you all for respecting landowners and not trespassing. Asking permission in most cases will get you somewhere. Thanks. And then over a year later... The original poster went back and replied on November 2nd of 2014 at 3.56 p.m. with, We went to the cemetery last night with the owner. They either were totally fucking with us or that place is seriously haunted. I got one interesting pics of two orbs above the tombstones. Now, these posts are from 2013 and 2014. Those right. photos and the, the video were gone. They disappeared. Maybe they used photo bucket. I don't know, but they're not there anymore. Oh, but either that's way, such a bummer. they went back over a year later and felt the need to comment on the same blog post. That's insane and dedicated. Yes. There were also a couple of Reddit stories that I found. One was posted to No Sleep, so I'll find mm. it and I will share it on our social media. Perfect. But the one I found in the paranormal subreddit was pretty crazy. You gonna tell it to me? Yes. Yes. User Happy Landfill X shared an experience that they had two years ago. They were told a whole different version of the story, but it didn't stop them from visiting the road. Happy Landfill X is a Nebraskan, so they were sharing this from a perspective of somebody who grew up in the area. Okay. Seven Sisters Road is a county road just outside of Nebraska City. It's rumored that a farmhand went crazy took his three daughters out and hung them one by one on three different hills, all along Road L. Afterwards, he shot each girl in the chest with his shotgun just to make sure they were dead. 
and then himself. It varies in most stories as to why he did this, but I can't remember off the top of my head the reasons. And that's the legend, at least that's the version that I had been told. Now after hearing this story about a million times, me and my friends were completely sold. Me and four other friends piled into a car and began to drive to the Seven Sisters Road about 8pm. We had another group of three friends in a different car following us. And just like in a horror movie, halfway through the trip they took a wrong turn and we got separated. No. My group was completely unaware until we got to the spot we were belonging at at exactly 10 p.m. and had a few bars of service. We quickly hashed out a plan to wait for the second group before we fully explored. So my friend C and I got out of the car and started running up and down the hill, not taking anything too seriously. Now, as one would expect in Nebraska, we had nothing but miles and miles of cornfields. So we were surrounded and at the top of the hill was a farm home with all of its lights out. My friend and I had found a strange dip in the corn that turned out to be a small path, so we took it. Halfway down the path, C and I stopped and everything got super quiet. Then, right smack in the middle of us, we heard a man with a very deep voice clear his throat. Ooh. None of my friends had a voice that deep. C and I looked at each other directly and bolted out of the corn to find our three other friends only a couple feet down the road from us. They asked us what happened and if we were okay, and before we could say anything, my friend Jay looked over in the corn and gasped, just sprinting back to the car. Later we found Dude. out that she saw a man standing deep in the corn, and when she gasped, his head snapped in her direction. So me and C shared what we saw with the group, and we were like, okay, let's not leave the car. Yeah. After a few minutes, we got a choppy call from the second group. They were lost. After getting their location, we left to find them. Eventually, we found ourselves on this long stretch of road with no turnoffs for at least two miles and no houses on either side. Soon, we noticed farther down we could see two headlights tucked off on the side of the road. Thinking it was our friends, we sped up a little, and after driving for a little while, we realized the lights had completely disappeared. It was not their friends. Oh. After continuing for a while longer, we found the group. We explained to them what had happened, and they were all super excited and wanting to get back to Road L. So we all got back into our cars and began driving back. My friend M had unplugged his phone from the radio, so everything was silent for most of the drive. That is, until we turned onto one of the seven hills along the stretch. The radio began playing station 88.7 with a strange noise on repeat. After a moment, we realized the noise was on a loop, and me and Jay were just like, nope. So we pulled over and got out of the car. But once our friends in the other car pulled up behind us, the radio stopped. We tried to explain to our friends, and they didn't believe us. And no matter what we tried, we couldn't get the radio to act up again. Eventually, the second group rolled their eyes and said they were going home because it was well past midnight, and we followed suit, scared that we were messing with things that we shouldn't be. That night, I dreamt I was deep in the corn with C and M, and there was a big black mass behind them, and the two were screaming in agony until the mass went into their mouths and down their throats along with mine. No one else shared if they had any bad dreams, but M had been having insomnia all summer and hardly ever slept until he got home that night and he slept for nearly 13 hours straight. Whew. I have a couple of comments on that. Okay. One, Jay, if you're in a group of friends and you see a creepy man walking out of a cornfield, don't just gasp and then run away and not say something like, ah, run! <laughs> like... <laughs> what <laughs> just took off running fuck those guys what no jay mm -hmm. second um when you started the story 
I was a little confused as to why this person heard a version that didn't have seven sisters. Like, because otherwise, why would it be called Seven Sisters Road? But in their version of the story, it actually matches what the medium saw. Mm -hmm. So then I was like, oh, well, happy, happy middle at ground, I guess. Well, that was actually my last comments before I finished my story was, like every urban legend that gets thrown out there, things change as time goes on, but there are overlaps. You've got the consensus story, which is that there were seven sisters who were hung. Right. And then you've got this medium saying there were seven people with a mix of genders that were hung and they had their chests burst open like with a shotgun. Right. And then you have Happy Landfill X who heard their whole life that it was three sisters hung and shot. So there's a lot of inconsistencies, but it's all really tragic. And either way, it seems like there's, from the reports of the locals to those newspapers and Reddit posts and comments on blogs, something's happening out there. Right. And seeing as I can't even listen to any of my spooky podcasts while driving to my mom's house who lives out in the country without seeing <laughs> things on the side of the road, I don't know that a haunted road is exactly up my alley. I don't... <laughs> up my alley. Sorry, I just caught that. <laughs> well, at least you have the good sense where if your radio starts acting up, you're like, drive away from this spot, not stop and get out of your car. That's when things get you. You're in the middle of a cornfield. What are they doing? So that is the story of Seven Sisters Road in Nebraska City, Nebraska. On a skeptic scale, para to normal, normal being a one, para being five, what would you give it? 2.5. I'm going to give it my lowest rating ever of a one. Well, this is my lowest rating ever, so you're, you're, I'm much more generous than you are. <laughs> you are much more generous than I am. It's not that I don't believe that something is happening there. There's just so much inconsistency. Yeah. So it's not that I don't believe it, but Nebraska, get your stories straight. <laughs> so that we can get our stories straight come on man boom research is on, hard when no one's saying the same thing it is so hard <laughs> i'm ready for another beer me too let's do it let's do it <laughs> Brittany said she was ready for another beer but she doesn't have one actively in front of her and i didn't want to wait so she tried to make a cracking sound with an already open beer and that was great Let's listen to this ad, okay? <laughs> All right, so we've made the plan to go to the Cedar Lounge and grab some more of this Grapefruit Rattler, but uh, when? Because we have to plan things. What's coming up music-wise? Personally, I'm looking forward to DJ Nola's Freak of the Week residency. So every Tuesday in July, she and another guest DJ spin from Disco Funky House DJ Jams. And it goes from 5 to 9, and they've got great deals on beer and pizza, plus, like, what else are you going to do on a Tuesday? That sounds amazing. Oh, oh, and uh, the Earthrider Brewery Makers Market. That is legit a reoccurring event on my calendar. Every Saturday from 10.30 to 1.30. Let's do it. For more Earthrider events, check them out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Earthrider Beer.
And we're Damn, back. That's good beer. <laughs> yes, and I have a story for you now. Let's do this. And tonight I'm going to tell you about the Congress Plaza Hotel in Chicago. Yes. I got a lot of this information from chicagohauntings.com, like a lot of it. Um, There are some other sources as well, and eventually I'll put them on the website. But the bulk of it I have to credit them for. So the Congress Plaza Hotel is located on South Michigan Avenue across from the Grant Park in Chicago. And it was originally called the Auditorium Annex as it was built across from the Auditorium Theater. And the hotel was originally built to house visitors to the World's Columbian Exposition, or better known as the 1893 World's Fair. The World's Fair! So many I've cool never, things center around the World's Fair. I know, and I've never heard about it being called the World's Columbian Exposition. Not once. I've Me either. I've ever heard of it being called the World's Fair. But everyone said that that's what it was. And I was like, oh, okay. The, the World's Fair. All right. Also, it's apparently super haunted. Yes. And it's no wonder because, honestly, right off the bat, it has a super shaky history. Oh, that's good. First of all, as the story goes, Chicago's first serial killer, H.H. Holmes, a.k.a. Dr. Henry H. Holmes, whose real name was actually Herman Mudgett, was said to use the Congress Hotel as a hunting ground for unsuspecting women. From there, he would lure them back to his own building, now known as the Murder Castle. Someday, when I have a true crime podcast of my own, I'm going to tell all of you what happened at the Murder Castle, but Kayla won't let me do it here. Because she said, I'm not allowed to do true crime stuff. I'm only supposed to do paranormal stuff. We are a paranormal podcast. We are not a true crime podcast. And that's why I'm going to get my own true crime podcast. And I'm going to tell them all about the murder castle. So all you get to know is that they took them to the murder castle and then they murdered them. Also, side note, I did actually try to find out if the murder castle is haunted. That's actually the reason why I stole this story from Kayla is because of the H.H. Holmes aspect. And uh, apparently, they tore it down. And I guess, if I remember correctly, they turned it into a post office, which has an unusually spooky basement, but that's about it. There's not that much story there. Oh. However, you tune in to my true crime podcast. Whenever I create it, you find out what happened in that murder castle. Anyway, (laughs) so although there is no information that I could find that said that he actually committed any of the, according to sources, at least 27 murders... At the Congress Hotel, there are still plenty of deaths to fuel a haunting or two. And they start right away. Seven years after it was built in 1900, Captain Lou Ostheim took his own life with a pistol that he just bought the day before, which also happened to be his wedding day. This was thought to be kind of an accident. So word on the street is that he wasn't suffering from depression. He had actually just gotten married. He was happy, but he was known to suffer from some sleep disorders, and it's thought that he was having a nightmare that they think that he was still trapped in, like a night terror. Mm. And in reaction to what was happening in his head, he drew his pistol and accidentally shot himself. Sounds very similar to the Maddie Monster situation. Yes. And then two years later, after that, they started the construction of the South Tower of the hotel, and from 1902 to 1907, while it was being built... A rumor started circulating that during the time of construction, there was a worker 
who got trapped behind a section of the wall. And now they say that you can see a ghostly hand coming out of the walls. Wait, like, like out of, like, through, and then it's just, like, pushing through, like, like, putty? Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, If it makes you feel any better, they call him Drywall Dave. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Dave. Don't mind that, guy. That's just Drywall Dave. That's just Drywall Dave. Wait, the ghost or the construction worker? The ghost is the construction worker. That's, that was the joke. I was trying to be funny. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> in 1904, an elevator operator at the auditorium annex fell 70 feet to the subfloor, dying on impact. And just an FYI, apparently people fall down the elevator shafts in this hotel a lot. So there will be more elevator shaft stories. I'm going to take the and stairs. And not long after this, right? Not long after this, a man from Indiana named Roy Gormley found himself at the Congress Hotel. He essentially just like up and left his family. And he stayed at the hotel for a week with his behavior getting ever more odd as time went on. He never ventured outside of the building and he would spend all of his days in the banquet hall listening to live band music and drinking copious amounts of alcohol. After a week of his mental state gradually deteriorating, one night he approached the band, and he requested that they play a song for him. The Funeral March by Chopin. Is it Chopin? 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 Pretty sure it's Chopin. But it's P-I-N. I'm pretty sure it's Chopin. All right. If if that's incorrect, it's, it's all on Kayla. Anyway, they asked him to play The Funeral March. The band refused, and later that night, he slit his own throat in his room. In May of 1910, a New York man named James Kennedy checked in alone, went to his room, cut the dry cleaner's identification tags out of his clothes, burned all of his papers, and walked into Lake Michigan and shot himself. Later that same year, an insurance salesman named Andrew Mack called a friend from his Congress Plaza hotel room, before also walking into the lake and apparently drowning himself at the foot of Von Buren Street. Then there was another man, an unidentified salesman, who threw himself down an elevator shaft. A drifter jumped from the roof of the North Tower, killing himself, and another hotel guest, described as a troubled family man, hanged himself from a cupboard hook. In the summer of 1916, mining investor Morris Davis and his wife were believed to have formed a suicide pack when Davis was found dead in their Congress hotel room 312 of cyanide poisoning. He died, but his wife was found alive, though barely. She claimed that they had taken the cyanide by accident, having confused it with Epsom salt. And a few days later, however, while staying at St. Mary's Mission House on Peoria Street, She tried to throw herself out of a third-story window and was promptly sent to the psychiatric hospital. I am, I'm not making light of this situation. I would like to be clear about this, but don't you want to avoid taking Epsom salt unless you want to poop? I don't know what Epsom salt does. I only know what to do. I only know it's good for your muscles if it's in a bath. Yeah, but you're specifically not supposed to take it. Like you're, if you're in a bath, you're not supposed to ingest the water because it's a very powerful laxative. Oh, is it? Yes. Huh. I it's, didn't know that. A cyanide is a heck of a thing to confuse for a very powerful laxative. Very different results. Very different results. <laughs> <laughs> In July of 
1926, a Galsburg woman, Miss Harriet Harrison, was staying at the Congress with her husband before they left for their European excursion, and she took a wrong step and also plunged six stories down an elevator shaft to the hotel basement. If you ever stay at the Congress Hotel, just take the stairs. Take like, the, avoid the stairs. Elevators. Good for your heart health. Exactly. And then there's a really sad story about the death of a mother and her children. Ooh. Considering the stories I've told you so far, you know it's not going to be great. Yeah. Um, quote, during World War One and Two, the Congress Plaza Hotel was used to house immigrants and refugees from war-torn countries. In 1939, a 43-year-old Czech Jewish woman named Adele Langer was staying out the hotel with her two sons, Jan Misha and Carl Tommy. They were in the country on a six-month visa, which was about to expire, and her husband was supposed to join them but was delayed and unreachable. Adele was anxious for her husband to arrive and became increasingly nervous that they would soon be deported. She fell into a deep depression and eventually suffered a nervous breakdown. On August 4th, 1939, she and the children spent the day at the zoo, and then when they returned to their room on the 12th floor of the Congress Plaza Hotel, Adele threw her two sons out the window before jumping herself. She died completely unaware that on that very day, they had received a letter informing the Langer family that they had been offered permanent refuge in Canada. When Mr. Langer received the news that his family was dead, he reportedly threatened to commit suicide himself. Oh, my god there's only a couple more stories i have for you oh my god Brittany! in august of 1950 a guest shot a congress employee and then himself when the staff member came up to the guest room to collect on a 104 dollar hotel bill and in may of 1966 rockford attorney frederick hayes was found naked and strangled with his shirt his wrists and feet bound with his own socks and that was just to name a few. But you can see a lot of bad stuff happened there. A lot of suicide and a lot of weird accidents. That's a lot of really tragic stuff and I'm feeling very heavy. And I'm really hoping that the ghosty situation like picks me back up here. Let's see. <laughs> now on to the hauntings. <laughs> so there's a wide range of paranormal activity that people experience in the Congress Plaza Hotel from shadow people to hands reaching out of walls. We already covered that one. Screaming, gunshots, appliances turning on and off, carpets turning on and off, carpets being ripped up, dead bodies in bathtubs, furniture moving around the room, pictures spinning on the walls, and full-bodied apparitions, including Al Capone, H.H. Holmes, and Teddy Roosevelt. That is a wide variety of celebrity ghosts. Dude, there are more celebrity ghosts than this, but it just was a long story. And it was like, oh, they saw that guy. Oh, they saw that guy. We've got gangsters, murderers, politicians. Presidents. <laughs> well, they could kind of all be one and the same. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Apparently, this hotel is a place where a lot of politicians have given their big, important speeches. Oh. Which is why... The presidents and other politicians are often seen there, I guess. So I didn't even include Teddy Roosevelt's story. So for decades, people have reported seeing the ghost of Al Capone in the hotel's bar and lobby. The hotel was known as a hangout for the notorious gangster who held his quote-unquote business meetings there. 
Several of Capone's business associates and friends, also known as the most dangerous criminals in the city's history, lived in the hotel throughout the 1920s and 30s, and it's reported that the corridors beneath the hotel were used for smuggling, along with other dark deeds. Also seen in the lobby and bar, H.H. Holmes. He is known to loiter around the hotel lobby in search of new victims. I don't like that guy, man. Neither do I. He's he's fucked. So you know about the murder castle. I do. Oh, I love true crime. I probably close to as much as you do. I just don't want to talk about it on a podcast. So and then I'm essentially gonna just like go up the floors. Oh yes, you do love your traveling stories. So I love the traveling stories. Let's do this. So that was the lobby area. We got, you know, Teddy Roosevelt, Al Capone, H. H. Holmes. Now we're going up to the second floor in the gold room which is a popular wedding venue and things tend to go a bit wonky with the photos here so pictures taken around the grand piano tend to develop with one or more people missing so you'll essentially get your entire wedding party in a photo in this area and then when it comes back like one of the bridesmaids just isn't in it i don't like that if i was that bridesmaid i definitely wouldn't like that that would (laughs) seem like a bad omen also in this room the doors tend to be found unlocked no matter how often they securely shutter them and that's pretty much it for the second floor okay the third floor there's the florentine room which is a ballroom in the hotel that was actually originally used as a roller rink when the hotel opened for the world's fair in the 1890s and security guards say that on their rounds during the wee morning hours, they can often hear cheerful organ music being played from inside the locked doors, as well as the sound of old wooden skate wheels against the wooden floors. That sounds delightful. <laughs> Ghost roller derby. Ghost roller derby. The piano in the room is known to play by itself, and a woman can sometimes be heard mm, screaming outside a staff door on the east side of the room. Also, in the woman's bathroom on this floor, there is said to be a female presence that will appear in the mirrors, staring at you, and then will follow you down the hallway when you leave. Also on the third floor, though he's actually seen throughout the hotel, people will often see the apparition of a one-legged man, affectionately referred to as Peg Leg Johnny. Peg Leg Johnny, just hanging out with Drywall Dave. Yep, got got a lot of fun names here. People will often report him to the front desk, thinking that he is a quote-unquote vagrant who seems to have found his way into the hotel. And there isn't all that much known about who he... And there isn't all that much known about who he could actually be, though one former hotel operator who worked the property in the 1940s remembers a resident with a wooden leg who always had a big smile and a big tip who unfortunately suffered a heart attack at breakfast during his residency and died. That's sad, but it's nice that people have happy memories of him. Though there are other stories. Okay. Got ahead of myself. Like that of an actual homeless man who lived and was murdered in the alley behind the hotel before it was built. I'm going with the first story. But whoever he is, he apparently likes to turn the lights and electronics on and off in the rooms and in general cause havoc for the guests. Sorry about that. You finally had a happy thing and then I just immediately went back to murder. (laughs) It's how you do. You know, it is. (laughs) All right, now we're going up to the fourth floor. 
So room 441 has actually received the most calls from guests reporting strange occurrences, though no deaths have ever taken place in that room. Guests in the room report seeing a dark figure of a woman who kicks them awake, as well as seeing objects move on their own and hearing terrifying noises. (laughs) I just, when I wrote this, and this is the exact line that comes up in all of the websites, who kicks them awake. I'm just imagining like a woman standing over their bed and being like, hey, (laughs) hey, (laughs) like poking them with her foot. With her big toe. Hey, yeah. Wake up. Maybe she's this in a rush to get to work. I've woken saying. up Sean a couple of times that way. Just like kick the end of the bed. Like, wake up. Wake up. Go. Also on the fourth floor in room 474, a once residence judge eternally changes the channels on his cherished television set. It's my kind of ghost. And then on the fifth floor in the South Tower, there is a phantom who lingers on the fifth floor passenger elevator and will often be heard moaning at the guests. Also in the South Tower, there is a little boy who is supposed to be about 10 years old who likes running up and down the halls in knee breeches and high button boots. Although people don't know for certain who the little boy could be, many people believe that he is the child of one of the families that once called the hotel home and he likely passed away from tuberculosis or pneumonia. This is a bummer of a story. (laughs) Good God. You wrote it and you sound so surprised. I know. Well, okay. Sorry. Sorry, y'all. All All right. So then on the seventh floor in room 759, there is a paranormal presence that pulls the door shut from inside when guests try to enter. It's said that he is an elderly gentleman, a longtime resident, whose son had come to take him away to a nursing home many years ago. Wanting to stay put in the hotel, he mustered up the strength to keep his son and security guards from opening the door, and he now remains determined to live at the Congress forever. That one's kind of nice. I like that. The 12th floor is known as the spookiest of all of the hotel floors. Many have reported being chased on that floor by a ghost believed to be Carl Langer, one of the boys who was thrown to his death by his mother. This floor is also home to one of the sealed off rooms, and the staff seem unwilling to talk about why, only saying that it's, quote, too horrible. Mm. Then, according to my friends at ChicagoHaunting.com, quote, There are the rooms that I promise management not to number. The rooms where the pictures on the walls rotate 360 degrees before the eyes of astonished residents. The room where the impromptu exorcism was held some unidentified Chicago winter night not so long ago before the victim was moved to a local convent. There is the room fled by two Marines in 1989 who went running through the lobby in their boxer shorts at 3 a.m. with the latter explanation that a towering black figure had entered the room from the closet and approached their beds. And the room where a woman slit her wrists in the bathtub after a night on Rush Street in the 1970s who is said to still be glimpsed during the night by weary borderers. End quote. There's a lot going on here. So it should probably come as no surprise that the Congress Plaza Hotel was inspiration for Stephen King's short story and subsequent movie, 1408, about a creepy hotel room where several suicides took place, according to some sources. If you haven't read it, would recommend. Have you watched the movie with John Cusack? No, I just read the book. Or oh, okay. novella. I guess it would be a novella. It's not a full-out book. Short story. Yeah. But I read yeah, it. Yeah. It was good. 
All right. I haven't read it. I did watch the movie. Um, for those who have not read or seen it, I'm going to give you the movie synopsis. Um, so Mike Enslin, John Cusack, is a successful writer who enjoys worldwide acclaim debunking supernatural phenomena before he checks into the Dolphin Hotel, that is. Ignoring the warnings of the hotel manager, Samuel Jackson, he learns the meaning of real terror when he spends the night in the reputedly haunted room. Essentially, anyone who checks into the room won't make it out alive before the end of the night. They will commit suicide. Again, per my besties at chicagohunting.com, quote, the real-life 1408 was always believed to exist on Congress's most haunted floor, the 12th floor of the older North Tower. Some point to a room that was padlocked and say that's the one. Others say it's the one that's been boarded up. Still, others claim that you can't even place it anymore. It's been papered over to remove any sign that it was ever there. This room does, in fact, remain, but it's not on the 12th floor. If it had a number, the room would, believe it or not, be number 666. Okay, At some really? point in time, <laughs> yeah. At some point in time, the spot where the room's door should be was drywalled over. Maybe Dave did it. I don't know. A piece of the baseboard patched in to connect to the wood where the doorway once stood. The lintel above the door is indeed still quite visible. Some have ventured that this room is simply put out of use because it's stigmatized number. Uh, but there is definitely more to this story. Though no staff member claims to remember why this room is sealed off forever, window washers tell us it was closed up with furniture still inside, almost as if the objects in the room were believed to be cursed. End quote. Do you imagine just washing windows every day and be like, all right, well, just going to clean these windows real quick and hope I don't see anything. Close your eyes, close your eyes, but don't close your eyes because oh you're up. Oh my God, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. And so many people keep falling from high places there. Yeah, so you can't close your eyes because you don't want to fall, but also, like, don't look. Anyway, that was my super depressing story about <laughs> the Congress Plaza Hotel. Super scary and frightening, and I don't know that I want... I mean, we talk about a lot of places that we want to visit. I don't think I want to go there. I don't really care for it. I do want to watch 1408 again, though. <laughs> <laughs> On a skeptic scale... Uh -huh. I'm going to give this a four because that is too much tragedy to not have something going on there. I agree. I will also give it a four. Yeah, there's just way too much sad, weird deaths for there not to be something there. Whew. Sorry about that. Well, I'm going to go from my sad story to your sad story to a sad Reddit story. Oh, no. Is this just a bummer episode all around? <laughs> Hopefully y'all are enjoying this because we're, like, going to leave here and just have to, like, take a bath or something. Jesus. I don't even have a bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> this Reddit story was posted in 2016 to the Paranormal subreddit by user Abnormally Shea Dragon. That's a bomb name. Yeah, right? Abnormally Shea Dragon writes, When I was three, my parents moved us into a new neighborhood. The house was nice, but kind of old. The neighborhood was an old 50s track home area, so it had a pretty varied group of people living there. As soon as we moved in, my dad started noticing weird things with me. He would hear me giggling and laughing in my room, and whenever he went in and asked what was so funny, I would tell him that the kids were being funny. He would also come in and wake me up to find me curled up in the closet 
cool, cool. This happened over and over again, but my parents didn't think much of it because I was a pretty imaginative kid. The thing that wigged them out the most was that I flat out refused to walk out the front door. I would scream and yell and cry until one of my parents carried me in and out of the house. When you walk in the front door, to the right there's a closet and to the left there is a low brick wall that separated the front door from the living room. Okay. It was about four feet high and about three feet long, just a general room divider, but I never touched it or wanted to be near it. After we had lived there for a few months, my dad started to make some renovations to the house. Among them was demolishing that divider. My parents dropped my brother and I off with our grandparents the day they were going to do it so that we wouldn't be underfoot. We didn't end up going home for a week. When my dad knocked down the wall, he called the police. Inside the brick wall were bones that turned out to be from children. I knew it. The cops never did figure out who put them there. The house had been owned by a lot of people, many of them who had rented it out. So it's just one of the many weird things that happened in my town that was never figured out. I knew it. Wow, this episode. I'm also sorry to the many people we met at the Para Unity convention that I said, yeah, we're funny and spooky because this episode is mostly just spooky. <laughs> you know, but we had Drywall Dave. Drywall Dave. And Peg Leg Johnny. And Peg Leg Johnny. Yep, those were our just comedic hold relief. On. Hold on to Drywall Dave. Hold on to Drywall Dave. But don't hold on too tight or you'll get covered in powdered drywall. Have you ever hugged somebody <laughs> who just did drywall work? Just get covered in white powder. No, I'm not surprised. I hug my cat and she covers me in cat hair. I assume it's the same concept. Drywall, Why? cat hair, I don't same know. <laughs> well, we posted that Reddit story. I do have a listener story on the docket, but I'm saving it for next week because I like it so much I wanted it to be on my birthday episode. Perfect. If you have a listener story you'd like to submit, you can do so by emailing us, leftofskeptic at gmail.com, or you can visit www.leftofskeptic.com and click the listener stories tab to submit from there. You can choose to remain anonymous if you would like to. We just ask that you please include your pronouns. And that's pretty much it. It's easy peasy lemon squeezy. I had a computer teacher in elementary school, and he was a very annoying man, and he said everything was easy peasy lemon squeezy. And ever since, this is first grade, and ever since then I've been very not fond of that phrase. That's okay. It's easy peasy pumpkin peasy pumpkin pie, motherfuckers. That's what Gerard Way says. That is much better. Okay. All right. I'll stick to that from here on out. You can also find us on social media at Left of Skeptic on Twitter and Instagram or Left of Skeptic Podcast on Facebook. You know what? I will just see you all next week. Well, not see you, but I'll be in your ear next week for my birthday until then i hope y'all have a much better week than the type of stuff we were just describing in this episode try to avoid the congress hotel please yep and seven sisters road and any houses with weird brick dividers all right all right well okay okay Bye. bye
Left of Skeptic podcast is written and hosted by Kayla Moria and Brittany Lind. This week's episode is edited by Kayla Moria. The Left of Skeptic music is by Dave Melling and Emily Havoc, and our artwork is by Al LeBlanc. Okay, bye!